James chapter 2, drop down to verse 20, and I'm going to read to 24. But wit thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified? and not by faith only. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, repeat after me. Everybody needs a friend. Today I want to lift out uh, of the second chapter of James, uh, verse 23, and this is what it says. And the scripture was fulfilled and saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness sake, and he was called the friend of God. There is within the human personality a profound need which is universally felt but rarely achieved. It is a need which is perpetually sought and continually pursued, but it still remains elusive beyond the grasp of those who seek it. Uh, in this introduction, I wanted to discuss this need, this necessity for human growth and development, which then stated is the simplest terms is that everybody needs a friend. This matter seemed of importance, and it's suggested by noted authors and psychologists that there are persons who live out the entirety of their lives without a genuine, abiding, authentic friendship. I don't want to belabor the point, but it seems obvious on its face that the reality is that there is perhaps no greater tragedy than to go through life without a real friend. To live without a friend is to be like John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, far from the crossroads of human interaction. Without a friend, you focus on the bleak reality of life with loneliness as your companion and alienation as your only comrade. A recent Harvard study concluded that having solid friendships in our life helps promote our brain health. Friends help us deal with stress make better lifestyle choices that keep us strong, allow us to rebound from health issues and disease more quickly. Friendships are equally important for our mental health. The friends we meet at school, they teach us how to be, uh, be patient, wait our turn, reach out, try new hobbies. When we move into young adults, we learn about taking responsibility, finding a career path, and seeking out people as our mentors. As we continue into our 40s and beyond, we learn to weather the ups and downs in life. And once again, friends provide a sounding board and a place for us to grow. Friendship is key to our success. And with all of our relationships, and, and, and it can create a sense of purpose in our lives, everybody, Cornerstone, everybody needs a friend. Without a friend, you could suffer the tragedy of a personal imposed solitary confinement. I was driving down the other day, and, and that's sad because when you're in a personally imposed solitary confinement, the only conversation you hear is the, is the monotony of you talking to your own self. 
And then the only response you gain are, and the, and the only, only response to life questions that, 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 that life throws at you or the only answers come from the limited resources of those three idiots sometimes. Me, myself, and I. Everybody needs a friend. So perhaps it's come to our consciousness, but everybody needs a friend. I was, I was driving. I was driving through a, um, uh, I was, I do something in the mind. I drop my grandkids off. You know, grandfathers do all kinds of stuff, right? So I'm out and I'm coming back from doing, dealing with my grandkids. And I, I'm going by high school. And, you know, you see all the teenagers walking down the street. Everybody cool. You know what I mean? Everybody cool. And on the back of this little girl's T-shirt, it says, I hate people. And I laughed because she might hate people now, but you're going to need people later on. And so you could try all this solitary confinement. You could try all this, I don't need nobody. Oh, yes, you do. All right? If you didn't need nobody, Adam would have stayed in the garden by himself. Uh, Y'all missed the whole point. If you didn't need nobody, Eve wouldn't have had no kids if you ain't need nobody. If, if your pet was just enough, it just would have been Adam in the garden with a bunch of animals. You need other people. Amen? I, I know you love your little cat, and I you know, know you love your dog, and you treat it like, you know, you, some of y'all treat it like it's your child. No, you need human interaction. Everybody needs a friend. <laughs> Let me move on here, right? So perhaps it's come to, and listen, listen, I believe we're on safe ground to declare that everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs a friend. In your life, in my life, we need somebody who is loving. We need somebody who is loyal, somebody who is trusted, somebody who is true, somebody who's willing to be our confidant and loyal counselor. We need somebody who will be devoted to us in dark hours and present in moments of pain, sympathetic in times of sickness, nearby when the road gets rough and the hill gets hard to climb. Everybody needs needs a friend. A friend is somebody who is there when good times aren't. A friend is someone who always gets in your way while you're on your way down. A friend is somebody who comes in when the world walks out. Everybody needs a friend. And that's why I wanted to discuss this need this morning. I thought I should remind you that good friends are hard to find. Everybody with whom you are friendly is not your friend. Let, let me talk to somebody in the room. Just because you're friendly, doesn't mean it's your friend. Everybody with whom you have a social relationship may not qualify in the character or in the category of a genuine friendship. That's why somebody told me a long time ago that you, have, you ought to be mighty careful in how you choose friends. It's true, Cornerstone, people at the sound of my voice, whether you like it or not, you will be known by the company you keep. You're going to be known. Listen, listen, an old, an old writer said years ago, listen, don't, don't tell me anything about the man. Show me his friends and I'll tell you about the man. I don't have to know anything about you. Just let me see five of your friends and that's all that I've got to see about you because you are known by the company that you keep. Amen? So look around. If you're the smartest person in your group, hurry up and leave that group. If you're the smartest person in your circle, if you're the smartest person in your social hangout, leave as fast as you can. So, so whether we like it or not, the world will judge you by the quality and character of the people that you call friends. And let me caution you again and say that everybody who claims to be your friend may not be your friend after all. 
It does not make any difference with the nature of your social, political, biological acquaintances, what it looks like. A good friend, a, a person who says they're a friend may not be your friend. We see it in the Bible. Cain and Abel had the same genetic background. They were brothers by blood, related by common parentage. And the Bible says that Cain slew Abel in the field. Similar situation. We see Jacob and Esau were not only brothers, they were twin children of Isaac and Rebecca. But I read in the Bible that Jacob got in cahoots with his mother and cheated and deceived and lied so much that Esau lost his inheritance and all he got because of a transaction of treachery was a piece of meat and a pot of beans. Fellas, do you recall Samson and Delilah? They were lovers, guys. Delilah proves that even your lover may not be your friend. Delilah was the one who cut the seven locks of hair on Samson's head and put him in the hands of his enemies. Job had three so-called friends, one named Eliphaz, one named Bildad, one named Zophar. But in the time of Job's de deepest distresses, in the time of his greatest need, all they were able to do was to sit around for seven days and not say a word of comfort. Even Jesus Christ discovered that his closest associates could not be counted on. Deacon Peter denied him. Deacon Thomas doubted him. The treasurer of the board called Judas Iscariot sold him for 30 pieces of silver and a field of blood. Everybody ain't your friend. Now I said all this to substantiate my claim that even though everybody needs a friend, a good friend is really hard to come by. Husband and wives, y'all don't say amen too loud, you'll tell yourself. Husband and wives can live in the same house, eat the same meals, share the same bed and bread, and still not be friends. There are those who have no friends, and they have no friends, there's another group. There's, some folks ain't got no friends. And they ain't got no friends because they don't make themselves available to friendships or the friendship transaction. You don't develop an authentic friendship if you always have a bad attitude. If you're always walking around down in the mouth, if you're always walking around with a bad attitude, I think today they call it toxic. If you're always toxic, nobody wants to be bothered with you. Nobody. Oh my God, here she come. Here come this, here come this guy. Y'all know how we talk, fellas. Here come this guy. Oh, my God. Nobody, listen, you walk in the barbershop, everybody get quiet. Fellas know what I'm talking about? How y'all know that guy? Matter of fact, you walk in and see if he's there, you turn around and leave because he's there. In order to have an authentic relationship, you've got to be friendly enough. You have to participate in the friendship transaction, right? The Bible says if you're going to have a friend, you must first be found friendly. You can't expect to have a friend if you don't know how to be a friend. Let me remind you that you have a friend. If you have a friend, you ought to thank God for that friend. If you have a genuine friend, you ought to thank God for that friend. I've learned to thank God for my friends. I learned to thank God for those that accept me for what I am, and they don't judge me for what I am not. 
I thank God for my friends who appreciate my strength, but they stand behind me in spite of my weaknesses. I praise God for them. And I might as well tell you that I thank God for my enemies too. The ones that get close enough to hear my heartbeat so they know where to thrust their daggers. Yes, I thank God for them because they are the ones who have taught me how to lean and depend on Christ Jesus. I thank God for my friends. Thank God for my enemies. But if you have a friend, you better thank God for it. Now, I brought up this matter of friendship to your attention this morning. In order to facilitate an examination and one of, the most, of one of the most unique friendships of which the Bible speaks. I want to take a look at the friendship that James said existed between God and Abraham. James says that Abraham was called the friend of God. We see that. Moses was the general of the first protest march from slavery to freedom. Isaiah was God's prophet whose lives, whose, whose, whose mouth, whose lips were, were actually touched by burning coals of incense from the altar. Amos was God's agent for justice. Solomon was God's repository of love and wisdom. Ezekiel was God's preacher in a cemetery. Job was God's example of a man who persevered in spite of predicament and pain. Nehemiah was God's builder when the walls of Jerusalem had fallen down and the gates had been burned by fire. Paul was God's molder of the missionary movement. And David was the apple of God's eye. But only Abraham, no no one else in biblical history, only Abraham was known as the friend of God. So today, I want to ask you the question, what does it take to be a friend of God? I am a friend of God. Israel Holton had y'all singing it. I am a friend of God. But what does it take, Ryan, to be a friend of God? What does it take for God to look down and say, that's my friend. Perhaps you want to know what it was that Abraham and about Abraham and God that made such a superb friendship. And I like to know what it was about Abraham that put him in line for such a distinct designation. Perhaps when you look at your life as I do, I look at my life, as I look at my life, do I even qualify to be called God's friend? Now, Cornerstone, listen to me. I'm satisfied with God. But I'd like to know if God's satisfied with me. I'm satisfied with God. But I want to know if God's satisfied with me. If, if, if he does not really, you know, do, do, do I really meet him? Do I really meet the qualification of being a friend? He, he already has the devotion of a son who sits on his right hand. He don't need another friend. He already has the devotion of a son who sits on the right hand and the company of the presence of the Holy Spirit who sits on the left hand. He does not need another friend. But I'm curious to discover after being on this Christian journey for a long time now, how close am I to reaching Abraham's status as a friend of God? I thought you'd be willing to go with me to seek and discover, if you have the time this morning, just what it takes to be so close to God, so intimate, so valuable, important as to be called God's friend. Well, in the first instance, I would imagine that Abraham and God had a solid relationship because God could see that Abraham had his priority in place. Not priorities. There's nothing, we say priorities. No, it, the word is priority. 
There's only one place. Y'all missed that. I don't have a list of priorities. What's ever first is the priority. God saw that Abram, point number one, God saw that Abram had his priority in the right place. You see, a good friend is always looking uh, 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 to, to get something. A good friend is not only just looking to get something, but a good friend is willing to take whatever comes along. Do you recall the occasion when Abraham and Lot had a controversy on who would claim the land? His nephew Lot took the best land. He wanted the most fertile territory. His nephew Lot wanted the, uh, wanted, wanted the land with the most pleasing pasture and flowing meadows. But Abraham said, I'll take whatever God gives me. My priority is whatever God gives me. I'll take whatever God gives. Now say it again. My priority is not prosperity. My priority is whatever God gives me. I can hear Abraham saying, the God I serve told me a long time ago that the earth is his, the sea is his, the cattle are his, the gold and silver are his, and so whatever my friend wants for me, it's all right with me. My priority, my priority, my number one priority is to take whatever God gives me. That's my priority. That's my priority. You better hear me today, Cornerstone. If you want to be God's friend, your priority must not be in material possessions. Didn't Jesus say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you? Listen, if your priority is your material possession, you don't qualify as a friend of God. I know that hurts some of you. I know that if, if my name, if the name of this church, never mind. Name of this church is Cornerstone Community Church. And we serve the almighty living God. And the, what I preach is the gospel. I'm not preaching no ideology about your prosperity is, number, is God's number one priority. That is not God's number. God's number one thing is not blessing you. God's number one priority is saving the world like hopefully he saved some of you. And so if I line up with God's priority, I'm satisfied with God. I'm like Abram. Listen, whatever you give me, God, is all right with me because I'm here to tell you that whatever God gives me will prosper. Whatever God gives me will put me at the head of the class and not the tail. Your priority must be in the right place. Second instance, friendship of God and Abraham was predicated on the fact that they knew how to talk to one another. They knew how to talk to each other. Not only did they talk to each other, but they maintained a lively communication. I often say you can't be friends with somebody you don't talk to. Oh, I'm God's friend. Do you talk to him? Well, I ain't prayed this week. Well, how are you friends? You're acquaintances, but you're not friends. You're not friends. He says here, look, look, if you look at the text, Abraham, Abraham not only talked to God, but they talked to one another. They maintained a lively communication. And if you read the text carefully, Bible scholars will know that Abraham did not always agree with God. 
He did not always agree. Bible scholars will, 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 will let you know in order to have a good friend, you don't need somebody that always agrees with you and always take your side on every issue. That's not called a friend. That's called a lackey. Your friend will disagree with you when you roll. Your friend will disagree with you when you, I wish I had a witness in here, right? Your friend, a friend, a friend, a friend will always think, a, a, a friend will always take your point of view, but a friend will always take the point of view that's best for you and best for the situation. Good friends can argue and still be on the same side. Good friends can disagree, but still refuse to be disagreeable. Good friends need not always see eye to eye, but they must be willing to listen to what the other has to say. That's what is a good friend is. Listen, listen, listen. And, and we come from a society, listen, and, and I heard a guy say the other day, and I totally agree. Our society is so soft and so sissified. Soon as somebody disagrees with you, whether it's a friend or not, you want to cancel them out. Well, I don't like what they said. Or, or, or you, you really chump out, I don't like the way they say it. A good friend, listen, it, it, my, my wife, she'll tell you, she's like, I can't believe y'all talk to one another like that. Sometimes it does take that. Sometimes, you know, you, your friend knows how to motivate you, and you know how to motivate your friends. You know, so sometimes we say things to one another that we're out of the folk. But, 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 but our, 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 our culture has become, remember back in the day, remember back in the day, y'all about my age or older, remember when your dad came home? Boy, you better get out the way. I mean, your mom transformed. Shh, your dad's sleeping. Your dad's sleeping. You know, I mean, it was different when your dad came home back in the day. Boy, it's like your dad came home and even your friends left. I'm going home. I'll see you later. Hey, Mr. Reeves. Right? Uh, they scatter. Boy, you fool around and wake your, your dad be asleep. Your mom would wear you out. Get outside. Your father's sleeping. Mom, it's raining out. I don't care. Get outside. Your father's sleeping. Right? But now we got a society, I don't know, man, these guys come out, everything we see, they, they have sissified this whole thing, sissified the whole culture. And you don't know, man, God, you know, dad's made a fool of now, you know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, but a whole society has changed, and so we cannot even have genuine friendships between men and women like they used to be because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. But that wasn't the case between Abraham and God. What do you mean that Abraham disagreed with God? Well, Bible scholars will remember when God and Abraham, these two good friends, had an argument or discussion one day. God looked down and saw the city of Sodom and decided that the only thing he could do with it was destroy it. But Abraham objected, saying, well, now, God, have you thought it through? Have you thought your decision through carefully? Have you, ha, have you examined your alternative or considered the options that are before you? I know, God, that you're omniscient. I respect, I'm all, all due respect. I, I know that you can't, I can't tell you anything that you don't already know. But before you destroy the city of Sodom, I wanted to ask you if, you, if I found just 50 righteous men, if I found 45, if I found 20, if I even find one man in the city, would you save the city? And I heard God say to Abraham, you have a good point. If you find one, I won't destroy the city. 
And I want to try to say this, that God and Abraham were good friends because they talked to each other. And if you're going to be a friend of God, you've got to talk to him and he has to talk to you. When you pray, it should not be a one-way conversation. You know how we pray. We get on our knees, we do all the talking, and we get up. God's like, you didn't ask the Lord to bless you. You didn't ask the Lord to keep you. You didn't ask, you, you, here's the funny thing about our prayers. We ask God to do what he already been doing. Amen. Lord, bless me. I have been blessing you. Lord, keep me. Oh, you think you're here because you're so smart? I have been keeping you. Lord, open the door for me. I have opened doors for you. And then we get up and leave. It's a one-way conversation. But Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus gave us an outline. You should study it sometime. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, Lord, I'm going to move on in my prayer, but I'm going to just stay right here and talk about your name a little while. You are Jehovah Jireh. That's a good name. You are Jehovah Rapha. That's a good name. You got all these other names. You are a keeper. You are a way maker. That's a good name. And sometimes I get so wrapped up in the names of God, I forget what I came to God for because his name reminds me of exactly who he is. And then he speaks to me. He walks with me. He talks with me. But your prayer life cannot be one-sided. Your prayer life, you're going to have to pause and listen to what God has to say. God ain't always going to tell you that things going to go your way. Because your way ain't all the time the best way. You know, and so we, we, we have to have, we have to have a, a lively conversation with God. You know, every now and then, we used to say this back in the day, you ought to listen to that still small voice. You're you only truly God's friend when you say, I've, I've come to the garden alone while the dew is still fresh on the roses. And the voices here falling on my ear are the son of, as the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. You've got to get to the point where you're spending time with God. You've got to shut off the phone, shut off all the stuff around you, and say, God, speak to my heart, Lord. And Lord, I can't hear you audibly, so let me go to your word and let me read a few chapters about you. Lord, speak to me. And so God said, when God said go, Abraham didn't have any questions. God said, Abraham, there are two things I'm going to do. Because here's the third thing. If there was any other element with the occasion of friendship of God added to this, it was that God found Abraham uh, uh, in him, in Abraham, he found the quality of faithful obedience. That's the third quality, faithful obedience. Not sometimes obedience, but faithful obedience. When God said go, Abraham didn't have any questions. When God said, Abraham, there are two things I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to get up out of your country, leave your kinsmen, go to a country, I'll show you. You're not going to have a road map. There ain't going to be no chart. There ain't going to be no compass. Just go, and as you go, I will give you the direction. And when God tells you to do something, you would want to do it immediately. Senior saints often reminded us that obedience is better than sacrifice. 
Even though you don't understand and even though the way doesn't seem clear, you still need to go. You see, I'm satisfied today because when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word and the glory he sheds on our way, while we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. And all we got to do is trust and obey. Y'all remember that song, Trust and Obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Second thing he did was tell him, he said, he said, Abram, since, since you're proving to be such a faithful friend, I'm going to change your name. Y'all missed that. He said, I want you to trust and obey, but since you've been a faithful friend, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to alter your identity. I'm going to refashion the manner by which you are known. Abraham, I'm going to change your name. Abram, I'm going to change your name. And if you're a child of God, and if you're surely God's friend, God will change your name. What do you mean, Pastor Graves? Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Saul had his name changed to Paul. Simon had his name changed to Peter. Abram had his name changed to Abraham. Sarai had her name changed to Sarah. And if you're God's friend, you should be able to say with the slaves of old, I know I've been changed because the angels in heaven done changed my name. God will change your name from mess to messenger. God will change your name from stank to sweet. God will change your name from the worst employee to the employee of the month. God will change your name from the tail, and now you're called the head. God will change your name from worst salesman to salesman of the year. God will change your name from last to first. Keep on trusting God. When you're a friend of God, you'll be no longer known by your circumstances, but you'll be known by your purpose. When you're a friend of God, you're no longer known as the unwed mother, but you're known as this great provider of God's love. When, 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 when God changes your name, you're no longer known as the convict, but you're known as this man or woman that God turned around and now you're known by your purpose. See, God has a way of changing us because if you're honest, people describe you by your circumstances. Y'all don't believe that. When people are trying to tell somebody who you are and the other person can't think of you, they try to tell, they, they will get to know you by your, you know, you know, you know the brother got his car repoed the other day. Oh, him! Him! You know the boy, he just got locked up. Oh, him! People will know you by your circumstance, but when God is your friend, they begin to call you by your purpose. God changes your name. Final analysis. God and Abraham found a solid foundation for their friendship because they both encountered a significant birth experience. Let me, let me see if I can close this thing. I imagine that the birth announcement for Abraham said this. Rabbi, Mrs. Rabbi and Mrs. Abraham are pleased to announce the birth of their son Isaac. I heard God's birth announcement when he dispatched the legion of angels to herald the news, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The significance of the birth of Isaac came to Zenith when God told Abraham to take his only son Isaac 
up to Mount Moriah and then lay him down on the altar of sacrifice. You should have been there that day when Abraham took his son and laid him on the altar. I read where Isaac said, I see the altar, I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? I even see the mountain, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? I feel like preaching now, Cornerstone. Well, it took God 40 and two generations to answer Isaac's question, where is the lamb? I know that Abraham asked God, why did you let Isaac live when I was ready to offer him as a sacrifice? But God told Abraham, I had to let your son live in order to save a nation. I had to let your son live because in Isaac was Jacob, and in Jacob was Reuben and Simon and Levi. In Jacob was Judah and Zebulun and Issachar. In Jacob was Dan and Gad and Asher. In Jacob was Natalie and Joseph and Benjamin. I let Isaac live in order to save a nation. But Jesus, my son, died to save the world. My son died to answer Isaac's question, where is the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He is the dying lamb. I heard somebody say, dear dying lamb, that precious blood will never lose its power to all the ransom of God's church be saved to sin and no more. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's a mighty fine thing to be a friend of God. I don't want who will, I, I, don't, I don't want somebody who claims to be with me through thick and thin. I need somebody who will go with me until the end. I don't want a friend to be with me as long as I'm all right. I can do all right by myself. I want a friend that will be there when I'm wrong. I'm looking for the type of friend. Looking for the type of friend that Naomi had in Ruth. She said, wherever you go, I'll go. I'm looking for a friend like Aquila and Priscilla who weren't afraid to have church in their home. I'm looking for a friend like Paul and Silas to sing with me in the midnight hour behind prison walls. I'm looking for a friend like Peter and John that aren't afraid to run a foot race to the empty tomb in a desert garden. I'm looking for a friend like the two men on the Emmaus Road who told the world, did not our hearts burn within us when this man of God talked with us by the way? I'm looking for that type of friend. I'm looking for an alpha and omega. I'm looking for the beginning and the end. I'm looking for a friend that'll open doors, that'll heal my body. I'm looking for a friend that gives me strength to go. I'm looking for a friend that's my strength when I'm tired. That's my voice when I can't speak no more. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to take everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. Everybody needs a friend. Give God some praise. Everybody. Everybody needs a friend. 